1: From the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk, fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson.
2: It is Wednesday, April 13th, 2022. I'm Guy Benson. This is the Guy Benson Show. Welcome in one and all. Thank you so much for tuning in every weekday. Between 3 and 6 p.m. Eastern, we are grateful you are here, especially if you're listening live across our great affiliates or elsewhere, but also on the podcast, which is growing thanks to all of you, GuyBensonShow.com. That's our online home for all of your needs related to the show, GuyBensonShow.com, including the podcast totally free of charge, on demand every day. Here's the lineup. We'll get to our first guest momentarily. Later on in the show, Dave Rubin is going to be here. He's got a new book out. He and I have some interesting things, certainly, to discuss. Also, Andy McCarthy, former federal prosecutor. He'll be breaking down what is, again, our lead story today, and let's bring you on that front of Fox News Alert. The suspect in yesterday's shooting on a New York City subway train has been captured. He is now in police custody. This happened a short while ago, and literally minutes ago, there was a press conference in New York with the authorities talking about this arrest. Let's start with Cut 27. This is the commissioner of the New York Police Department.
3: Moments ago, Frank Robert James was stopped on the street and arrested by members of the New York City Police Department. Officers, in response to a crime stoppers tip, stopped Mr. James at 1:42 p.m. at the corner of St. Mark's Place and 1st Avenue in Manhattan. He was taken into custody without incident and has been transported to an NYPD facility. He will be charged with committing yesterday's appalling crime in Brooklyn,
2: and he will also face terrorism charges, is the report now. Of course, he opened fire in a crowded subway car which he had filled with smoke. While wearing a gas mask himself, a premeditated violent act that miraculously resulted in no deaths, but multiple victims, including 10 people who were shot. Now, who is this man? I'm going to try to avoid using his name. I don't like to shower attention or notoriety on these people. But he is someone, let's say, known to the police in New York and New Jersey. I'll get to that in just a second. People are also combing through his social media footprint, and there are multiple posts and videos in which he has railed against white people, Jews, and Asians. Here is his rap sheet, as announced, this is what they know of at least, by the NYPD's chief of detectives. This was part of that press conference just literally minutes ago, Cut 25.
4: His arrest history in New York is nine prior arrests dating from 1992 to 1998. Those include possession of burglary tools four times, criminal sex act, theft of service two times. He was arrested on a New Jersey warrant. He also has a criminal tampering. He has three arrests in New Jersey in 1991. 1992 and 2007. They are for trespass, larceny, and disorderly conduct.
2: So this person had been arrested 12 times, a career criminal. Sounds like he was very busy on the crime front in the 90s. Then took a bit of a break, at least in terms of getting caught. Was arrested again in 2007, and here we are in 2022 when he planned this terrorist act, this attempted mass murder in Brooklyn. And he has been taken into custody, and the cynic in me wonders how much more we will be hearing about this story, given the profile of the assailant, the alleged assailant. Because, I mean, 12 prior arrests, indications, we have to be careful and and wait until we get everything confirmed, but strong indications of Black nationalist beliefs, this is not the type of story that I think many people in the media are terribly interested in keeping alive for very long. If the profile and motives, let's say, were different, I think we might be having a big national conversation about dangerous political rhetoric, inspiring violent acts. I don't think we'll have that conversation as aggressively as we would otherwise if things were a little bit different, if you know what I mean. And if his profile were different, I think that we might have members of the media and other folks, political actors, trying to keep this story alive for as long as possible. Maybe even into November, for example. Maybe I'm being too cynical. We can just say congratulations to the authorities for making this arrest. One day after the attack, there was apparently a tip from... Someone who saw this person out in Brooklyn called the police, and now he is behind bars and will face justice. Joining us now is the Honorable Nikki Haley, former governor of South Carolina, former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, founder of Stand for America PAC. Governor, it's great to have you back on the show. I mean, this is huge breaking news, obviously. Just want to get your initial reaction to what's just happened.
5: Thanks so much, Guy. It's great to be with you. You know, I mean, obviously – you know there's a lot that's going to be said about the criminal and and what they think of him but the thing i would say is in spite of the fact that there have been multiple calls to defund the police in spite of the fact that New York City got a lot of COVID money to their transit authority and none of the cameras worked in the subway system and we don't know why. In spite of all of those things, law enforcement came through in the way that we always know that they do. Um, But it doesn't change the fact that New York City and many cities across this country are less safe than they were. That's because of, of, us choosing to debate cultural issues as opposed to debating the fact that we have to take care of our police, that we have to make sure we have their backs so that they can have our backs. The fact that we've got to start making sure that when criminals actually have a crime, that they serve time, that they're not just let out on the street to go free. So there's a lot of conversations we could be having, but I doubt that any of those conversations will be in the media today.
2: hmm And I think the long rap sheet of 12 arrests at least That's probably inconvenient to a lot of people as well. There's a lot of inconvenient details emerging about this suspect that cut against a lot of the narratives that are preferred by some of my colleagues in the news media. And I don't have to go down that path too far here. I think people understand my point and they understand your point as well. And we will wait to see for more facts to come in. We'll see how this case now progresses in the prosecution Against This man and we'll get more analysis on the prosecution from Andy McCarthy, a former prosecutor coming up later in the show. I want to ask you if you could to flip over to your former ambassador hat. I want to play for you a soundbite. This was yesterday. President Biden was in Iowa talking about inflation and we got all the normal song and dance, all the normal talking points, all the normal blame shift about Putin's price hike and all of that. The one piece of actual news that seemed to come out of that performance in Iowa was in passing the president, referring to what Putin and the Russians are doing in Ukraine as genocide. When he was pressed on that later, did you mean to say that was that intentional? Biden said, yes, cut 16.
4: Yes, I called it genocide because it's become clearer and clearer that Putin is just trying to wipe out the idea of even being able to be a Ukrainian. And uh, the amount, the evidence is mounting different than it was last week the more evidence is coming out of the literally the horrible things that the russians have done in ukraine and we're going to only learn more and more about the devastation and uh we'll let the lawyers decide internationally whether or not it qualifies but it sure seems that way to me
2: okay so ambassador haley we can talk about the definitions of genocide versus horrific war crimes obviously the russians are absolutely guilty of the latter we can have that discussion about the former but i also want to broaden it out because what was it yesterday the biden administration had indicated that the u.s was going to be helping to furnish ukraine with helicopters and then earlier today it was announced actually no they were walking that back no more helicopters as part of the new aid package zelensky got on the phone with biden and basically begged for those helicopters. I mean Biden had just said there was a genocide happening. Then they scaled back what they were planning to help with in terms of combating the genocide militarily. And then after that phone call between the two leaders, I guess now the helicopters are back into the package, which is eight hundred million dollars in total. And the helicopters are back in. I'm glad they're back in. I don't understand what this drama was with the back and forth and the flip flop flip and the walk back that the unwalk back. It does seem like a lot of this is incoherent from where I sit. What do you think?
5: Well, it comes across as if, you know, the different agencies aren't talking to each other. I mean, you know, first of all, I will tell you, I think this is genocide. Anytime you try and eliminate the existence of a people, that's genocide. And, um, you know, again, that shows bureaucracy is kind of taking time to to define it as such. But I agree with Biden that it is genocide. I think that it's been genocide and this isn't a new revelation. Um, You know, the part that bothers me is why is Zelensky having to beg for anything? This is not just a war with Ukraine. This is a war for freedom. This is a war that we must win. If we win this war, Putin and every other thug won't even try this again. So we have to win and win big in this fight for freedom. We should be rallying all of the Europeans, all of NATO. We should be leaning in towards having strong talks with India, strong talks with our Arab friends, making sure that the world is continuing to get united against Russia. Um, you know, but yet they still, they still wait to sanction our energy companies. And that, you know, if you look at the revenue numbers last year, that Putin received for energy, and you look at it this year, naturally it's through the roof because the cost of oil has gone up and Putin is benefiting from it, and we're not doing anything about it. And every bit of money that goes to Putin is going to kill Ukrainians. And we're all part of that as long as the U.S. doesn't go and sanction the energy company. So, you know, there's a lot we need to do, but what I can tell you is Zelensky should not have to beg. We should send anti-air, anti-tank, anti-ship, Um, any amount of equipment we need to send. I'm glad they're sending this package. I was really glad to see Boris Johnson walking the streets of Ukraine with Zelensky. I thought that was an amazing show of support. And I wish that we would see more of that. Um, And I think that it's time to really put the hammer on Germany and say, you know what, you got us into this by getting all cozy with Russia. All of the Europeans need to stop their dependency on Um, any Russian energy whatsoever. They could do it. They could do it. We could help them do it. We should be doubling down on that.
2: Last question, and it deals with a totally separate subject. We're just all across the board here today as we open the show with Nikki Haley. It was now widely reported, not officially announced yet, but widely reported that the Biden administration is going to extend again the mask requirements on federal transportation and in federal transportation hubs airports on airplanes etc they are doing it for 15 days that's the extension so that kind of reminds me a little flashback somewhat somewhat disturbing flashback to 15 days to uh, slow the spread we all remember that 15 more days of this mitigation requirement for many Americans traveling based on science that, I just think it's non-existent. It doesn't make any sense anymore. It is totally out of step with other allowances and other CDC guidance that has been released. Meanwhile, they're saying that they're going to get rid of, they've announced that they're going to get rid of the Title 42 expulsions at the southern border because we've moved past the emergency stage, I guess, of the pandemic in that case. But for Americans traveling around on airplanes, they're still going to have to mask up. I don't understand the coexistence of these policies either?
5: Well, you know, I mean, after watching the Biden administration for this year, they are constantly behind um, the ball on everything. And I think really what this 15 days is about is to make sure that all their talking points are good before they lift it. Um, They should have lifted a long time ago. I mean, it's It doesn't do anything to help anyone to have everybody mask up on, you know, as we go through transportation. We see how frustrated passengers are. We see even more the burdens that it puts on those people working in these places that have to enforce it. And we know it doesn't do anything. And so I think this is all about um, political talking points for Biden. The bigger conversation that we should be having right now is the crime that is taking place on the border. I will say this over and over again. I idea that we have had enough people come into this country illegally that would create the 10th largest city in America. Think about that. The 10th largest city in America of illegal immigrants is what's come through. And now when they lift title 42, we're going to see 18,000 a day. Guy, think about what that does to our schools, our hospitals, The crime on the streets. I mean, this is horrific. It's irresponsible. It's immoral. And it's absolutely something that if Biden gets away with this, we should have calls from Congress from the left, the right and everyone in between calling for what he's doing in terms of his job, because it's it really is. This is going beyond being irresponsible. We already know that Iranian terrorists are saying that if they want to come into the United States to do terrorist attacks, the easiest way to do it is through the southern border. We're not doing anything to stop it. And I know from having been on the ground in Guatemala and Honduras, the second they find out that this is being lifted, you're going to see those massive caravans start coming back to the border. So it wouldn't surprise me if it goes more than 18,000 a day. And I, I think that's horrible. It affects every state in the country. Um, we have fentanyl um, deaths that are rapid around this country, and we can blame the openness of the southern border to that.
2: Nikki Haley, former governor in South Carolina, former U.S. ambassador at the United Nations. Her group now, she's the founder of it, Stand for America PAC, Always appreciate these conversations. A lot to get to as we begin the program here today, and we're very glad that you are here to talk through these issues with us. Thank you.
5: Thanks so much, Guy.
2: That's Nikki Haley. On The Guy Benson Show, we are just getting started, and we will be right back.
1: Fresh conservative talk, Guy Benson Show.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system.
2: I'm Guy Benson. It's the Guy Benson Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. A lot more to get to... Here on the show, and I'm very glad that we've got all of you here with us. Yesterday, we talked about a big inflation metric hitting a 40-year-plus high dating back to 1981, a huge number for March. Here's another one that dropped today from the Wall Street Journal. Suppliers raised prices sharply last month, a sign inflation continues to percolate through the U.S. economy. Producer prices rose 11.2% on a 12-month basis, compared with an upwardly revised 10.3% increase in February. So February, the number was already high. It went up further in the revision, and it was 11.2% in March. That marked the fourth consecutive month with a double-digit gain and was the highest since records on this metric began in 2010. So they've been keeping this score basically for a dozen years. And this is an all time record over that lifespan of this particular statistic. It's never been higher. And it's the fourth straight month with double digit gains. This is on the producer side. So we had the consumer side yesterday, a multi decade, more than four decade record. And then we have an all-time record on the producer side, 11.2, double digits, with the previous month getting revised upward. So this inflation issue is not going away anytime soon. They can huff and puff at the White House about Putin and all the other blame to go around, and there are multiple factors, some of which are totally out of this administration's control, but others aren't out of their control. Others have been exacerbated and caused By the Democrats' policies, they know it, voters know it, and November is coming.
1: talking about the issues you care about guy benson
2: GuyBensonshow.com. it's our website podcast free every day check us out on social media at guy benson show that's twitter and instagram and also give me a follow on my personal accounts guy p benson guy p benson on twitter and instagram i have a tweet that i uh fired off late last night having run across a story that caught my attention, and that tweet has gone viral. So let's talk about it. Let's start with the backdrop. We've been talking about these issues now for weeks and weeks because it's been a big cultural flashpoint. The Florida law now signed by Governor DeSantis about parental rights in schools and young kids and sexualized curricula or instruction in classrooms on gender identity, that whole issue set, right? And I have laid out multiple times my fairly nuanced position on that law and some of the other bills that are now popping up in other states. If you're interested, you can go back and read my stuff, read my tweets, read my columns at townhall.com or listen to the podcast. I've been through my position and I stand by all of that. I just don't want to waste our time recapitulating stuff that I've already said and written many times. The short version is I don't oppose significant elements of the Florida law. I do have significant concerns about other parts of it that I think are overly vague. And some of the other state bills that are out there, particularly in Louisiana, I have bigger problems with. And I think there's been, on the other side, a lot of lying about the Florida law and mischaracterizing of what it did and did not do. And I think because people use snappy slogans and hysteria and emotionalism that did not actually align with a lot of the verbiage in the bill itself, they are now shocked to learn that when pollsters ask the American people about the actual component, for example, in Florida, the K-3 through piece of it that was sort of at the center of a lot of the discussion, the majority of people support the Florida law. So they've gotten really hammered in public opinion. The activist LGBT left has and that's despite having basically all of popular culture firmly full square behind them behind their rhetoric and amplifying it and at the forefront of course of popular culture is Hollywood the entertainment industry and we've had so many celebrities out there denouncing Florida there was like a Writers Guild in Hollywood talking about boycotts of Florida. You had Disney with their meddling and weighing in on this issue very heavily, I think in a dishonest way, encouraging or blessing an employee walkout in protest, which was huge in California and almost non existent, by the way, at Disney in Florida. All sorts of public pressure. And then like signals of cultural solidarity. So at the Oscars, which was totally overshadowed, the entire event was overshadowed by The Slap, Will Smith, Chris Rock. Earlier, there was this moment where the three MCs for the evening, because I guess they had this clunky thing where they had three people hosting. It was Wanda Sykes and Amy Schumer and Regina Hall. They were all on stage together, and they decided that they were going to make a political point about the Florida law by very uh, dramatically and courageously saying gay at the Oscars. Cut 19, if you don't remember.
5: We're going to have a great night uh, tonight, and for you people in Florida, we're going to have a gay night. <laughs> gay, 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 gay,
1: gay, 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 gay,
2: gay. Wild cheers from the audience. Oh, just, it's so stunning and brave of these ladies to say gay. Now, whatever your thoughts are on the Florida law, it does not bar the saying of gay at all. It's just so stupid that this is the way they decide to go about their criticism. No wonder they're losing on the issue. They can show up in Florida and say gay. They can walk into a Florida school and say gay. But the details and the truth actually is beside the point. This is a signaling. We are stunning. We are brave. We hate the governor of Florida and Republicans. We aren't bigots. They're the bigots. And we are firmly behind the LGBTQ2A plus or whatever community. That's what Hollywood wants everyone to see. The erasure of gay and queer people, that will not stand. Not in Hollywood. No, sir. We say gay. You say don't say gay, even though you don't. We say gay. Well, except when they don't. So let me read to you from this story that caught my attention just after midnight that then inspired my viral tweet. It is from Variety, which is an industry publication in Hollywood. And let me just read. References to a gay relationship in Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, I guess a Harry Potter spinoff movie, were edited out of the movie by Warner Brothers for the film's release in China. Six seconds of the movie's 142-minute runtime were removed. Dialogue that was edited out alluded to the romantic past between male characters Dumbledore and... Grindelwald, I hope I'm saying those things correctly, I'm not a Potterhead, Harry Potter author J.K. Rowling, who the left is constantly after for supposed transphobia, revealed that Dumbledore was gay back in 2009. Warner Brothers accepted China's request, so this is the official censorship request from the Chinese government, to remove six seconds from the movie. Dialogue lines referring to these same-sex relationships. The rest of the film remained intact. Now, listen to this quote given to Variety by the studio. This is Warner Brothers. This is one of the biggest studios in all of Hollywood. Hollywood that said gay and gave a big standing ovation against don't say gay. Except, I guess, when China literally says don't say gay, Hollywood stands up and says, yes, Chairman Xi. Thank you, Chairman Xi, for your note. We shall immediately erase... Literally erase the gay characters from this movie. Thank you, China. Please, please, please give us your money. So Warner Brothers was asked about this. And here's, here's the statement. As a studio, we're committed to safeguarding the integrity of every film we release. And that extends to circumstances that necessitate making nuanced cuts in order to respond sensitively To a variety of in-market factors, Warner Brothers said in a statement to Variety, our hope is to release our features worldwide as released by their creators, but historically we have faced small edits made in local markets. In the case of Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, by the way, I guess the big secret in China is Dumbledore's Gay, The Western world's known since 2009, per J.K. Rowling, but that's still the secret of Dumbledore that may not be shared with the Chinese people, per the Chinese Communist Party. And this massive Hollywood company said, okay, let's keep that a secret. Let's not say gay. A six-second cut was requested, and Warner Brothers accepted those changes to comply with local requirements, but the spirit of the film remains intact, even with these minor edits. I am in awe of this statement Are these circumstances that necessitate nuanced cuts, minor edits. The spirit of the film's intact, even though the six-second cut that was requested by the Chinese has, in fact, been made to comply with local requirements. The local requirement in this case being a billion-plus people in China can't go see a movie where a gay relationship is even mentioned in a three-second soundbite two of which were excised carefully out of this film. They also, another studio, remember Bohemian Rhapsody, the Freddie Mercury story? They just cut out the gay stuff. Even though that is like a central part of Freddie Mercury's life and legacy and story and all of it, that was edited out so they could go make money in China. So you can think whatever you want about the Florida law. You can think that I'm going too hard on it, and that I'm letting you know, my sexual identity influence my thinking or whatever, and some of you have complained that I've criticized the Florida law too much. I disagree. I stand by every criticism of it and the stuff that I said in favor of it. Some of you, and I've heard from you guys also, probably not a ton of listeners to the show, think that I'm just betraying the gay cause by not denouncing it with my hair set ablaze, screaming don't say gay, and you know, like using my opportunity when I met DeSantis to like yell at him to his face or something. That's not how I operate. But in Hollywood, the way they operate is to signal their virtue and to preen and to posture about what strong allies they are. For the LGBT community. And they get, oh, a big cheer at the Oscars for this stupid, you know, we're going to say gay little skit that they did. Disney doing their thing. I mean, this this is what Hollywood does. And then when there's an actual demand to not say gay, when it's not the governor of Florida or the legislature of the state of Florida not banning the word gay, they turn it into don't say gay, right? They just twist it to call it a don't say gay bill. They make that up and they repeat it endlessly. Like on the National Academy Awards telecast. But when there's an actual demand to not say gay, don't say gay in real life, and it comes from Beijing, from the censors of the Chinese Communist Party, Hollywood over and over again says, yes, sir, we will not say gay. We will engage in explicit, deliberate, targeted LGBT erasure, right? They say that the Florida law is LGBT erasure, which it's not. I have problems with it that I've stated. It is not that. This cutting gay characters or even references to them out of movies, so they're allowed to be shown in China. That is the definition, the definition, literally, of gay erasure. And Hollywood does it without batting an eye. And guess what? Mission accomplished. Warner Brothers had a big win on this one. Did you know, this was another detail in the Variety story, did you know that this movie, Dumbledore's Gay Secret, whatever it's called, debuted in China before it did in the United States. So the the debut, the opening in China, was a week prior to the film being available to American consumers. It started in China before it was here. So people were watching this censored, edited, don't-say-gay director's cut of this movie in China at the behest of the Chinese government before Americans saw the original uncensored version I find that very interesting and guess what the movie won the box office in China that weekend and Warner Brothers made millions of dollars so congratulations you didn't say gay and now you've got millions of additional dollars in your pocket proud of yourselves based on your own alleged values Hollywood honestly they won the weekend. And by the way, it's even more impressive that they made the millions of dollars that they did that weekend, given the fact that Shanghai, a city of what, 20 to 25 million people, was completely shut down with, pe- with people forcibly locked into their homes and apartments by the government under this insane COVID policy, which is still happening now with people slowly starving in Shanghai. Those people weren't eligible to go and see this movie in a theater. Obviously, they couldn't leave their home. They can't go eat. They can't get food. That's what the Chinese government is doing in Shanghai. Total lockdown of that city, so no one's going to the movies there. And then all the would-be moviegoers in, in Xinjiang, all the folks who might just slip out for a a weekend of fun and maybe go catch a flick at the theater in Xinjiang, which is where the genocide is happening. Any of those prospective moviegoers who are currently among the millions in concentration camps in the Western parts of China, they were unavailable for comment. Also unavailable to go see the movie, but it's a big country, lots of people. So Warner Brothers still made millions on this one in their big box office opening weekend victory in a censored don't say gay movie that they changed to erase gay people because Chinese communists told them to just like another studio changed bohemian uh, bohemian rhapsody just like another studio changed the new Top Gun movie taking a Taiwanese flag and a Japanese flag off of a patch on a jacket because that was too offensive now I wonder if Disney super woke Disney Weighing in on all these political and cultural battles. The CEO putting out statements attacking Ron DeSantis and all this stuff and saying, yes, oh, so we, we stand four square, shoulder to shoulder, behind our LGBT community and our employees and all that, the activists all riled up. Will Disney do a walkout at their Chinese parks, their theme parks in China? I guess if there's one in Shanghai, it's definitely not open. No one can go anywhere. But elsewhere, they can have a walkout there. I don't think so. I doubt they'll even cancel their Disney cruises that stop at ports of call where homosexuality is illegal because there's money to be made. There's money to be made here at home by preening about don't say gay, and then there's money to be made by not saying gay in other countries. So that's what Disney's going to do. Just like they thanked the CCP for letting them film out in Xinjiang, which is where the genocide is happening. They thanked them for that. Disney edited... Simpsons episodes for Disney Plus in Hong Kong that got rid of references from the the Simpsons criticizing human rights abuses like Tiananmen Square. Those were magically, poof, disappeared by Disney over there. Because there's money to be made. Don't say genocide. Don't say human rights abuses. Don't say gay. And Hollywood is happy to oblige. While calling a bunch of people here at home... Bigots because they're worried about K through 3 students getting gender identity instruction. Again, you can believe whatever you want about the Florida law, but if you're going to preen here for a domestic audience, about so-called don't-say-gay and then literally do don't-say-gay censorship elsewhere for a buck, or in this case, millions of bucks, you do not have a shred of credibility when it comes to these issues of social justice or human dignity or LGBT rights or any of it. Give me a break. Zero credibility. Hollywood front and center. But they're not the only ones, and I will continue with that thought Right after this on The Guy Benson Show.
1: Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show.
2: It's The Guy Benson Show. So the World Cup soccer coming up in a few months in Qatar. Adidas is a big sponsor of the World Cup this year. Adidas had a trans-athlete commercial running during March Madness here in the U.S. They're like, look how stunning and brave we are on trans issues. Well, the security chief in Qatar at the game said... No LGBT stuff, no pride flags, that will not be permitted. Does Adidas have any statement on that? Or are they mostly just thinking, cha-ching, I think it's probably that. Which is fine, just don't pretend otherwise.
1: Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show.
2: It's our middle hour here on the Guy Benson Show, our second of three, between 3 and 6 p.m. Eastern every weekday, GuyBensonShow.com, our website. If you can't listen live, there's a podcast for that, GuyBensonShow.com, and that podcast is free of charge and on demand. Fox News alert as we begin our middle hour. The Dow up today, closing in the green, 345 points up, in fact, ending the day at 34,500 and 65 joining us now is dave rubin host of the popular long-form talk show the rubin report also author of the brand new book don't burn this country surviving and thriving in our woke dystopia it's a follow-on book to his previous don't burn this book and it is out and available for sale as of yesterday dave welcome back congrats on the new book
6: guy it's always good to be with you and you know i guess if the ideas of the first book had totally taken root, I wouldn't have had to write this one, but the country does seem to be on fire. Alas, I'm talking to Guy Benson.
2: Yeah, here we are. Don't burn this country. Give us just the elevator pitch for folks who might be interested in going out and buying it.
6: Look, we know the woke monster is here. We know our institutions are crumbling, our educational institutions, our our cultural institutions, our political institutions. We know that everything that we accepted as true five years ago, there's differences between boys and girls, that being non-racist doesn't make you racist, 2 plus 2 equals 4. All of these things are being erased and wiped out in front of us. The purpose of this book is how people can take a little bit of the power back to themselves, not just to mock these ideas or expose these ideas or show the hypocrisy, which we all do and and you do quite well, uh, but to really say, okay, this is what's going on in the world. How can I disconnect from it? And how can I live a good life in the midst of it? And so in many ways, this is really a how-to book more than anything else.
2: Let's talk about A few issues that I think play into the thesis of your book that are very much at the forefront of the culture wars right now. And I just spent the previous half hour, so the back half of last hour, just sort of going off. And I will admit it was fairly cathartic and felt good on (laughs) Hollywood's unbelievable hypocrisy when it comes to the so-called don't-say-gay Legislation, whether it's in Florida or elsewhere. And, Dave, you might know my views on the Florida law. You might share them. You might mm-hmm. disagree. I don't know. We haven't talked about it yet. Uh, I, I have some positives about the law. I have some negatives about the law. But it does not ban the word gay. It doesn't mean you can't say gay anywhere in schools or otherwise in the state of Florida. Yet you have this Hollywood community and you know the media and these cultural tastemakers out there just – repeating this untrue slogan, and I played the clip from the Oscars of the MCs at the Academy Awards saying, oh, for all of you in Florida, we say gay, and they said gay like a thousand times, and everyone cheered. And then I just read the piece that was out yesterday from Variety describing the latest example of many where Warner Brothers literally excised and erased Gay character references from the new Harry Potter-themed movie where the censors in communist China said, don't say gay, and Hollywood said, yes, sir. And they did exactly what the censors demanded, and the gay references were gone, and this has happened many times before. And one other example quickly that I'll give, and I want you to react to all of it, and I mentioned it very briefly in our previous segment – The World Cup is coming up in November for soccer, a huge international event. One of the big sponsors is Adidas. Adidas ran the trans athlete ad, this sort of performative thing, you know, we're down for the cause and we're going to put our money behind it. And that was a domestic audience. It ran during the NCAA men's basketball tournament. It was controversial. They did it on purpose. It was a business decision. Adidas is sponsoring the World Cup now in Qatar. And the Cuttery authorities have said no LGBT demonstrations in favor of rights, no rainbow flags. They'll be confiscated for the safety of the people with the rainbow flags. If you're interested in that sort of stuff, do it somewhere else. You can't do it for 28 days here in our country. And I just wonder, you know, Adidas, that is going to say we're for, you know, trans athletes, Competing, and we are going to stand by the LGBT community and we're going to put it in the faces of Americans while they're watching March Madness. I haven't seen, Dave, a single whisper about the World Cup and the host country and the gay erasure, if we're going to use their terminology, that's going to engage and happen at that World Cup. I can't imagine that Adidas is going to pull one cent of their advertising money or their sponsorship deal because ultimately. They care about making money, and they want us to all pretend otherwise. That it's, oh, they have these amazing values, and they're living their values. The values I don't think actually exist. The value is making money, and that's fine, but just be honest. That's my frustration here. You can maybe hear it in my voice, and I suspect you might share it.
6: Well, not only do I share it. I mean, I think I can sum this up in basically three words. I mean, irony is dead, hypocrisy is dead. The the quick summation, I'm sure you did this quite well in the previous hour, but the quick summation of the Don't Say Gay bill is that you don't want state employees having private discussions with K through three third graders about gender or sex and then being able to withhold that information from the parents. It has nothing to do with being gay. You could have just as easily called it the Don't Say Straight bill. You wouldn't want a straight teach a straight male teacher talking with a six-year-old in first grade, about heterosexuality, homosexuality or anything else. This is all basic, obvious stuff that we all know. This has nothing to do with an assault on gay people or an assault on gay rights or anything else. It's absolute insanity. But this is what they are thrusting on us constantly. The question is, where is this really coming from? Does. Does Disney really believe? I mean, this this real clown person, it's the only way I can describe him, this Disney CEO, Bob Chappick. This guy, obviously, I don't know his full resume, but to become the CEO of Disney, uh, you got to have a pretty good pedigree. And here is this guy who is now groveling at the altar of social justice. He has his activist base employees from their diversity, equity, and inclusion department, and he's begging them for forgiveness, and he's going to spend the rest of his time at Disney on his knees. And I honestly believe that this type of thing could actually destroy Disney. I don't mean that Disney will not exist in one form or another in two or three years, but people have absolutely had it. The average person knows that this is not right. This has nothing to do with being anti-gay. Uh, I, I don't really know anyone at this point in America in 2022 who doesn't want equal rights for all people. Now, people are absolutely entitled to their wow. own... Uh, well, hold on. I mean, well, there, are wait, wait, wait. Well, there are definitely people. There are definitely people who no, don't... Let agree. Me, let, me, let me. Hold on, let me finish this sentence. There okay. are absolutely people who are entitled to their own religious beliefs. And by the way, I, I believe in religious liberty. So someone is absolutely entitled to believe... In traditional marriage, that's just fine. But the point is that in America, we don't we don't extend rights to people and then take those rights away. So people, of course, can have their own personal private beliefs. But this situation that we have been thrust upon, where suddenly uh, they're trying to conflate having these private discussions that should have nothing to do with teachers or state employees, especially with children of that age, we could maybe discuss it around seventh, to eighth grade. If you want to have that discussion, that would be fine. Uh, we can ha- at least have a discussion about what the appropriate age is, but right, everyone knows instruction. this is wrong. And, and, and the way that they're conflating these things to make it seem like this is an assault on gay people. I mean, those ridiculous buffoons in, in Hollywood, this is what they do with everything. And it's why, by the way, Everyone's tuning out of Hollywood. Everyone's canceling Disney+. Plus. Nobody watches the Oscars anymore. Nobody cares about their products. And also, they can't even make good products anymore. You know, Disney itself, once you allow wokeism in, they decided to market Disney, uh, market Star Wars because they own Star Wars. They said, we're going to market that towards young girls. We're going to market Marvel towards young boys. It doesn't really make any sense. But they've allowed wokeism into their company, and, they, and one corporation should not own so, much, so many of our dreams. And, and you can extend this into the Adidas thing that you just mentioned and every, everywhere else. Uh, there's a great video, you may have seen it from a couple of years ago, of Serena Williams, female tennis player, obviously, on David Letterman. And she talked about how Andy Murray, a male tennis player, wanted to uh, play her in a charity match. And she said that female tennis and male tennis are not even the same sport that's her words. She said men hit the ball harder, they're faster. She said he would beat me six o six o in, I think she said, under 10 minutes. That's what she said, and she's arguably the best female tennis player of all time. And yet we somehow tolerate the idea of a biological male crushing young high school female swimmers in swimming. It's all ridiculous, and the backlash to this, I think, is growing and growing.
2: Yeah, and I think that the backlash is... I think, warranted in a lot of respects. I think there are concerning elements of the backlash as well. I mean, you were talking about our modern society, and I think we've come a long way, and that includes many, many people on the right. There's also quite a lot of bigotry and intolerance that still exists. I mean, I read some of the comments on the baby announcement that you and your husband made, which was awesome. Congratulations, by the way. That's really exciting news. And there were some some very nasty things that people said in those comments amid a lot of, you know, an outpouring of positivity, too.
6: Go ahead. Yeah, the thing is, guy, that's that's a little bit about how the internet dysregulates us. Ninety nine percent of what I got was pure love and joy. Certainly from my own audience, anyone that I'm associated with publicly, any of my friends, organizations that I work with, like the Blaze and Daily Wire and PragerU, that are all mainstream conservative outlets. It was an endless outpouring of love. Now there was two or three blue check people on Twitter. That we're not happy, and they express their opinion. And by the way, they're welcome to do that. But then, basically, the rest of the hate or, or the judgment, whatever you want to call it, was was mostly anonymous Twitter accounts. So, right. is, if the so the thing is, of course, there are going to be some people in the world who do not like black people based on the color of their skin. It's, it's Prejudice is part of the human condition. There's going to be some people who don't like gay people. There's going to be some people who don't like women. The best thing that we can do is create the conditions in a society for people to live freely and equally, and then hopefully bigotry will go away. But I'm not too concerned about that. I, I really am not. I think that the, the right has moved so far on this in terms no, of no food equality— that, that it's not that big of a deal, that a bunch of Twitter trolls don't really upset me.
2: Right. I was, I was just point, pointing out and pushing back against the notion. It's not like, you know, this problem is gone. I think it has been largely mitigated and we've moved to a new place and overall a better new place. And I want to ask you something that I was talking to Carol Markowitz about, a, a fellow new Floridian, by the way. You guys have yep. uh, moved yep. down there a pretty back-to-back. I believe if I have the timing right, we were talking about this yesterday on the show because she's very pro-LGBT. She has been really her whole adult life. She's been really angry about the whole debate around the Florida law and these issues where she's suddenly like waking up one day and she's a a new bigot based on the new rules on the left. And we've seen this play out where, you know, Pete Buttigieg's husband says, well, if you support – the Florida law, you're going to basically be aiding and abetting the death of trans kids. You're going to kill kids. And Buttigieg was asked about that on TV, and he said, yes, he agrees, that's true. And, I mean, it's obviously an incredibly demagogic thing to say, to demonize a whole bunch of people, including folks who are, like, ambivalent or even supportive, by and large, on LGBT stuff. Then, on the other side of it, though, you've seen this talking point cropping up and it's going more and more mainstream, this groomer thing, the groomer line. And I have some concerns, I have some misgivings about this because I think that grooming of children, sexual grooming of children is a real and evil phenomenon. And it has a very specific definition. And I don't know that it's a good idea for conservatives broadly to assail anyone who has any problem, let's say, with the Florida law as a groomer or someone who's okay with grooming. I feel like that's playing the exact same demagogic game that the other side does. And I'm just wondering, in your mind, is that fair game because it's fire with fire and it's their unfair rules, so they have to live by it, or should we try to be better?
6: Guy, first off, they set the rules. They lie about absolutely everything. The fact that the media calls this don't say gay, the fact that I would venture to say, although I'm guessing you've done it honestly, that almost all of your audience probably doesn't know it's called HB 1557. That's the actual name of the bill. But everyone calls it Don't Say Gay, when, as I said earlier, you could have just as easily called it Don't Say Straight. So they set the rules. The media sets the narrative. And then people on the right end up having to push back in crazy ways. So. Here's a situation where what Chastin Buttigieg said, or, or whatever his name is, uh, I don't know if they've changed last names or whatever, but what he said was completely insane. The completely insane, the idea that without this bill you're going to kill young gay kids, we're talking about first and second graders who do not think about sex or gender identity or anything else, is insane. And that Pete Buttigieg dared to go on The View and say the exact same thing is also equally as insane as that. But they get to do that on mainstream media and they're applauded by everybody. People on the right that are pushing back on the groomer thing, look, I haven't called these people groomers. However, if, if you were to take someone else's six-year-old child and have a private conversation with them about sex, it doesn't matter if it's gay, trans, straight, or anything else. And then not tell the parent about it. What, what would be a better word? I mean, I, I'm, I'm actually like – I agree with you in, the, in that we're all sort of in the slow descent to hell together if we keep doing this. <laughs> but what would be a better word? What is the excuse that these teachers have? I mean, I'm sure you've seen all the TikTok videos of these activist teachers proudly proclaiming how they talk privately to five-year-olds. And yeah, I, I would call
2: – because part of the issue here is classroom instruction. I would call it a usurpation – of parental authority, and I would call it indoctrination. Those are the words that I would use in this context as opposed to groomer. I get the point that you're making, and Carol kind of was wrestling with the same question, saying I don't want to use the word groomer, I don't think it's fair, but the way that they constantly lie about everything, like it's hard for me to get all worked up and shed tears when other people lie back about them and give them a taste of their own medicine – I just sit here thinking about the descent into hell, as you called it. I don't want to be part of the descent. But look, these are tough issues and highly emotional, and you deal with a lot of them in this new book, Don't Burn This Country, Surviving and Thriving in Our Woke Dystopia. The author is my guest, Dave Rubin. Dave, always appreciate our back-and-forth conversations, and we look forward to next time already.
6: Thanks, Guy. Good seeing you. And
2: congrats on the babies that are on the way, and congrats on the book, and we'll right. be right back.
1: Fresh Conservative Talk, Guy Benson Show.
2: I'm Guy Benson on the Guy Benson Show. Andy McCarthy on this Brooklyn shooting suspect arrest coming up in the next segment. In the last segment with Dave Rubin, we were talking about a few comments made on The View by Secretary Pete Buttigieg. And since The View is on my mind, I have to play you this from today's quote-unquote debate at the table. And I don't want to spend too much time, waste too much time punching down at Joy Behar. But ooh, cut 28. Listen to this.
5: The Supreme Court is is poised to pass a bill contradicting the New York City state laws. We have very strict gun laws here, and they would like it to be, apparently, somebody has put this on their desk, that New York should be an open-carry state and an open-carry city. With all of the density in this city, they want people running around with guns. People, middle-class people will be leaving in droves if that happens.
2: The Supreme Court is going to pass a bill that contradicts the new york state city gun laws i mean send this woman to civics 101 remedial civics camp she talks about politics for a living on television none of that makes any sense and by the way those strict new york gun laws what did they prevent in this case just a question
1: You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson.
2: Thank you very much for tuning in, GuyBensonShow.com, our website for the free podcast. Our next guest is Andy McCarthy, Fox News contributor, former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, author of multiple books, including Ball of Collusion. He's at Andrew C. McCarthy on Twitter. Andy, good to have you back. Guy, how are you? Doing well. I'm feeling a little bit better now that this uh, suspect has been brought into custody in Brooklyn after the horrible attack yesterday. So I want to get your reaction to it. We had a lieutenant or a former lieutenant from the NYPD on this show yesterday as the news was breaking, and I asked him about the assertion from city authorities very early on that this was not being investigated as terrorism. Now that they're is a suspect in custody it appears that there will be terrorism charges at play here he thought that was a premature announcement on their part I wonder what you think of that and just broadly about this case your thoughts
3: I think it's silly to say that it's not terrorism I mean you have a a mass shooting attack by somebody who's clearly politically motivated and simply declaring that something is being carried as a terrorism investigation, uh, which, by the way, enables them to use the Joint Terrorism Task Force so they can bring federal resources to bear in their investigation as well. So it's just a smart thing to do. But it doesn't obligate them to file terrorism charges. So, you know, an investigation is about what you rationally think you're dealing with, and I think any rational person looking at what happened yesterday would think this was a terrorist attack. And the other thing I'd be concerned about, Guy, is the authorities, whether they're federal or state, uh, going back to Saeed Nasser's killing, the terrorist Saeed Nasser's killing of uh, Maya Kahani in 1990, they have a long history of understating terrorism when they you know, you have obvious terrorist attacks and they come out and say, you know, it was a lone gunman, they can't figure out what the motive is, we may never know. And, you know, I think common sense people look at this and say, you know, for God's sake, you have to investigate it as a terrorist attack. And, you know, you conduct your investigation, then you see where it goes.
2: Andy, I know something that's going to get a fair amount of attention, probably on the right. I'm not sure if the media is going to cover it very much. I, I don't think the media is going to be very excited about the profile of the suspect, about some of his rantings, apparently on social media, uh, against white people and Jews and Asians. I feel like if he were, if he looked different and hated different people, it would be a a massive national story. The motive, we'd probably have a big, uh, frenetic conversation about political hate speech and what type of political rhetoric inspires this type of thing. We, we seem to always have those conversations when it suits a certain political utility. And when the facts are different, we don't have that conversation, which drives me crazy. I try to be consistent on that stuff. But one element here that I think definitely plays into a lot of concerns voters have and a wider issue right now is voters are thinking about crime, This is a man, the suspect, who has at least 12 arrests on his rap sheet. A lot of them were back in the 90s, not all of them. uh, And that's just in New York and New Jersey that we know of. We also know, and this has been reported, that he was to some degree on the FBI's radar at some point. And I think people are going to ask questions about, you know, law enforcement, uh, prosecutions. I mean, you can't always nail every single person in advance, people snap or whatever. But I think there's going to be some anger out there from people saying this guy was arrested 12 times, the FBI had him uh, in their sights to one extent or another, and you know here he was walking the streets plotting this attack and then shooting 10 people. Uh, what's the right way, from your vantage point, to think about those issues?
3: I think the right way to look at it, Guy, is not to jump to conclusions, because we always have to remember that we're in a system here that doesn't allow for administrative detention, as they do in some countries around the world. We're in a system where you really can't detain somebody unless you have probable cause that they've committed a crime. And you can only surveil. I mean, if you have, uh, you know, uh, let's say let's be modest and say in the tens of thousands of people uh, that you might suspect somehow connected to some kind of potential terrorist activity, uh, you can only sit on people. There's a finite amount of resources. You can only sit on people so long. So I think these things are legitimate questions to raise, particularly given that we have a lot of these so-called lone wolf cases where You know, upon further review, it turns out that they're known wolves, right, that they were on the FBI's radar screen. Mm -hmm. And you always have to ask, did they have reason to believe that somebody was a threat, but they were for, you know, reasons of political correctness or other pressures? They weren't paying as much attention as they should have. All those are legitimate questions, and they ought to be asked. And I'm a critic of the FBI, the way that they handle this, but I do think we have to be realistic that – you don't have the authority in our system, and you shouldn't. Right. I was going to say, this is, it's a feature uh, of know,
2: the system, right? It can be frustrating. Right. There can be horrible outcomes sometimes. But I wouldn't trade the system for the opposite.
3: Right. That's, and that's, the, the point you've just made is the key point, Guy. Everybody always says, well, I'm against this, um, and that's never the issue. It's as opposed to what? And the thing is, Mm -hmm. if you change the system that we had, I don't think people would like to live in that system.
2: No. Uh, There are rights for the accused and rights for the suspected, and that's a good thing, even though sometimes there are huge mistakes made. And when there are mistakes made, then people need to be held accountable. And I think maybe a lot of the frustration, Andy, goes back to what feels like far too often a lack of accountability, even for very big mistakes, And we don't know what the circumstances are or the fact pattern is in this particular case. And I think you're right and wise to say let's wait for that to come in before jumping to conclusions. We have about a minute or two left here in the segment, Andy. What comes next in this process, in this prosecution? What are the biggest questions on your mind right now?
3: Well, you know, obviously what I found, Guy, in my own experience investigating these cases is that once you have somebody in custody – um, all of the, the things that you're curious about and that you would like to know kind of have to take a backseat to the fact that the, the justice system has its own schedule and its own, you know, once those wheels start turning, they can't be slown down or, or uh, unwound the other way. You know, so you have a guy in custody. He's going to be in custody, which means you're going to have to charge him within a few days because he's not going to get bail. And then you're off to the races on a prosecution and very often, especially if you're dealing with someone that you're you know, that you're not uh, sure whether he's acting alone or not. This guy appears to be acting alone, but we don't you know, we can't make right, it
2: right. They gotta they got nail that down. I would say you you just said you asserted he won't get bail. He better not get bail. Sometimes you have to wonder these days in a case like this, but I think you're right. Andy McCarthy on the Guy Benson show. Back here on The Guy Benson Show. Thank you very much for tuning in every day. Let's take a quick gander at some immigration-related news. The New York Times had a big story this week, very long, a deep dive, if you will, into some real ruptures within the Biden administration and the White House specifically over the border and the border crisis disagreement and delay is what they call it and there are various factions that have been battling back and forth biden's been angry the bottom line is the outcome the result of this policy has been a failure and the failure is about to get far worse the border crisis is already at yes crisis levels if you listen to this show regularly i don't need to tell you that It's been said over and over again, not by me making assertions, but by the actual numbers. We have Bill Malugin on this show reporting from the border. We're going to be headed to the border doing the show from down there later this month. That's the plan. And the statistics speak for themselves. Now, of course, there are human experiences behind every statistic. But it is an astonishing clip. More than a million Encounters at the southern border over the last six months during this fiscal year alone already. Well over 300,000 known gotaways not included in that million number. And all the experts say when Title 42, this pandemic era provision that allows very quick expulsions, particularly of single men back across the border or back to their countries under public health initiatives. When that tool goes away, as Biden says it will, midway through or towards the end of next month, the problem is going to explode. Word of mouth is a very real phenomenon in the sort of cycle of illegal immigration. And the floodgates will be back open and that word will get out. And U.S. officials are warning There could be up to 18,000 people encountered every day come May, June, July, peak season, especially in the spring, which is when this decision is scheduled to be implemented at the behest and under pressure from these left wing pro illegal immigration activist groups of whom President Biden and his administration are afraid or to whom they're beholden. But a very severe, acute, ongoing, long lasting problem is going to get dialed up to 11 soon. And Texas is doing what they can at the state level. Same with Arizona. These are Republican run states to try to do whatever is within their toolbox to at least mitigate the impact on their states. And of course, the federal government keeps telling them you can't do those things. This is our job. We won't do the job. We're not interested in fixing the problem or enforcing the borders or doing what it takes, but you can't do that either because we're the feds and you're the state. So what we mentioned this last week, Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, is doing, he's going to start busing illegal immigrants from the Texas border straight to Washington, D.C., and let them out right by the U.S. Capitol. It's like, all right, here's a border crisis that the president himself won't come down and look at. Harris went down there, the VP, the border czar, went once to – a sector that wasn't actually overrun, and did a photo op and left, very different from her previous photo op when she was a senator running for president. Remember that? When she went and she was waving at the poor children and the binoculars, oh, look at these children, and she said these are crimes against humanity being perpetrated by the United States government. And now she's doing like a quick blow-by to check a box because it's technically her job as the problem gets worse and worse. If that's happening... Greg Abbott says, all right, fine, we're going to bring some of the problem directly to your doorstep. And that first bus load was dropped off in D.C., not far from here, today, this morning. Is it a stunt? Yes. Is it a stunt with a purpose to highlight a failure? Yes. Now, my favorite part of all of this, and there's nothing good about it because obviously serial violations of our sovereignty are not a laughing matter, The fact that we have announced, the Biden administration has announced very openly in memos that people who come to the country illegally and then are convicted of subsequent additional crimes are not subject to deportation across a whole array of crimes. That's not funny. It's actually shocking. It's a shocking dereliction. What is kind of funny is is the panic among some Democrats who are finally realizing the border crisis that they have enabled every step of the way might actually hurt them politically, and that, my friends, they will not abide. That they shall not stand for. I mean, this could be happening. The crisis could be raging. And all the terrible effects could be playing out. But it doesn't really matter to these vulnerable Senate Democrats in particular, until it threatens the longevity of their career and their time in power. And there's an election coming. So Raphael Warnock, down there in Georgia, he voted against a Republican measure last August to maintain Title 42 as a tool to remove large numbers of illegal immigrants from the country. During the pandemic. And that was well over a year ago. This was last August. The Republicans put up a bill. Every single Senate Democrat voted to kill it and it died. They stuck together, all 50 of them, including the moderates, Manchin, Cinema, and the newfound attempted moderates. They said, oh, Title 42, we are not going to vote for this Republican bill. But guess who all of a sudden is saying, you know what, maybe we should keep Title 42 for a little longer. Oh, that's right, Raphael Warnock, who voted one way. Now the disaster is coming, and everyone sees it coming, and he's on the ballot in November, and he's changed his tune very dramatically. He's not the only one. Catherine Cortez Masto out in Nevada were... Another poll shows her trailing. She's polling in this latest survey at 40% as an incumbent, which is not great. The president's approval rating is at 35% in Nevada. There are Democrats worried out there that they could lose all of the House seats in Nevada because of stupid redistricting decisions that were made. By the way, the state party in Nevada was taken over by socialists. So this woman who voted against border funding and voted – against the Title of Forty Two provision to keep it intact, she's now also saying, Oh golly, I uh ooh, man, President Biden needs to do better on this. Let's let's uh get more serious about this. It's so transparently obvious what's happening here. Schumer tells them to do whatever he wants them to do. These generic Democrats, right, sort of the rank and file ones, they always say yes They vote exactly how Schumer tells them to vote. And now we're a few months away from an election. They see this train wreck coming at them on this issue. And they're like, oh, forget my previous public statements and votes. Now I'm concerned. Now, see, I'm being independent from my party. I am going to raise concerns about this with President Biden. What leadership. And the very best one is Maggie Hassan. who's this non-entity, do-nothing senator, Democrat up in uh, New Hampshire. And she's also on the ropes in New Hampshire. If the Republicans can nominate someone decent, I think there's a real chance of beating her. And she voted against, for example, border wall funding three times just last year. And she has a long record of voting against the wall. Of course, every Democrat did during Trump. Oh, we can't give him the wall. He wants the wall. He campaigned on the wall. He won. We hate him. No wall. All of a sudden, guess what she did? She went down to the border. Was it like last weekend? Because she realizes this is a huge problem for her politically. Suddenly she's concerned and she's like, oh, Biden, you you better do more here. She's making little videos down by actually a wall. And she's talking about the need for more barriers, which is a synonym for a wall. She hopes you don't notice her years of voting against border barriers. And now all of a sudden she's like, oh, I'm just, we need a big, beautiful wall. She's Trump all of a sudden because she can see the internal polling, the focus groups, and, uh, oh, she's a hawk. She's suddenly super concerned. Isn't that convincing? Aren't you convinced by these people? Maggie Hassan and Cortez Masto and Warnock and the rest of them, Mark Kelly in Arizona. Oh, yeah, no, they're, they're just, suddenly their eyes are open. It has nothing to do with the calendar in November looming. <laughs> don't be fooled. I don't think you will be, because it's not subtle. It's very, very ham-handed. They don't believe in this stuff. They're putting on a little show. Don't let the song and dance save them politically. Final hour of the Guy Benson Show coming up. Stay with us. Wednesday happy hour on the Guy Benson Show. I am Guy Benson. Thank you so much for tuning in every single weekday from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time and around the clock on demand on our podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. You can also go to FoxNewsPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. But we recommend listening live, first of all, on our affiliates and through other avenues available at GuyBensonShow.com. And then going to that same website For the podcast where you can download episodes or subscribe, it is all no charge to you. And the happy hour sponsored by the Finnish long drink. Finland in the news recently. For good reasons, they want to join NATO. I can understand why. And their most popular alcoholic beverage over there for like 70 years has been this thing called long drink which until recently was basically unheard of in the United States, but they launched here a number of years ago, the Finnish long drink. They've been great sponsors of our program now for quite some time, sponsoring the happy hour. I'm a huge fan of the product just as it is. Whether they sponsor our happy hour or not, I'm a customer. Thelongdrink.com, it's really good, and many of you tell me on a regular basis how you try it, how you like it. Thelongdrink.com, always drink responsibly, 21-plus only And that website, thelongdrink.com, can let you know where it's sold near you. They've been expanding. You can also order online. As we begin our final hour of today's show, let's check in with a little Woke Tales. Tales. This story comes to us from where else? California, where the largest high school in San Diego, Southern California, has eliminated honors classes. Why? For equity reasons, of course. Equity being this uh, buzzword on the left that has replaced equality because equality isn't good enough. Equity is the new goal and the new gold standard of wokeness, where if it means degrading things, blowing up institutions, discriminating in pursuit of quote-unquote fairness, that is what an equitable future looks like. So this has actually been a controversy elsewhere, including in Virginia. It was a flashpoint in northern Virginia, actually, that helped Glenn Youngkin win the governor's race in the Commonwealth. He campaigned explicitly against this sort of thing. And he brought over quite a few parents in otherwise blue areas, including parents of color, who wanted no part of this sort of thing. We actually might get back to Virginia school politics later on in the segment. But out in California, they're saying, let's do more of it. So the principal of San Diego's largest high school, Patrick Henry High School, and I'd imagine they probably need to rename that high school. Am I right? That's an old founding father, white cisgendered dude. He probably knew some people who thought some bad things. Maybe he thought some bad things. Give me liberty or give me death. That's a little problematic. So I think maybe the countdown is on to erasing that name off the high school. And perhaps step one here is to cut many of the school's honors classes. This school official named Michelle Irwin notified parents in an email explaining this was all about equity. Let me read from the story. Irwin cut the courses for equity reasons. This is from the San Diego Union-Tribune. Irwin cut the courses for equity reasons, according to an email she wrote to parents. She told parents she wanted to move away from, quote, stratifying classes and remove the stigma from non-honors courses. She also cited racial disparities in honors course enrollment, a problem that is mirrored nationwide. So here are some of the statistics that they're talking about. Latino students made up 54% of California's public schools And the student population back in 2017, but represented only 43% of the students enrolled in at least one AP or advanced placement course. Black students made up 6% of the state's enrollment, but just 4% of students enrolled in at least one AP course. And apparently those trends were present at this high school in San Diego, the largest high school in San Diego, where white And Asian-American students, particularly Vietnamese students, made up a disproportionately higher percentage of enrollment in honors American literature, honors U.S. history, etc., while Latino students and other students of colors were disproportionately lower. The underrepresentation is a problem because enrollment in advanced courses is associated with a host of academic benefits, such as better attendance, fewer suspensions, and higher graduation rates. Participation and success in honors and AP courses are also key factors considered in college admissions. Okay, so let's just pause there. You can make the case that there are some racial disparities based on the data. I do not understand why the solution is let's get rid of these classes. Let's stop offering them because the numbers don't reflect the diverse kaleidoscope that is California or whatever, let's snatch away these advantages that were not just randomly given to these students, by the way. They had to place into these classes. You have to earn your way into some of these classes. And as the story notes, some of these classes and success at these advanced and higher levels... Yes, they are associated with more academic success down the line, including in college admissions, but also things like graduating from high school, showing up, not dropping out, having fewer behavioral problems. And again, the woke mindset is, well, if there are some skin colors that have too many kids with those advantages and other skin colors don't have enough kids based on our data, they're not represented the way we think they ought to be, then let's just scrap those programs altogether for all of the kids. So it'll be fair for everyone. Doesn't that sound great? Doesn't that sound like progress? These people really believe that they're progressives. Now, what if you're one of the 43% of those Latinos who were enrolled in at least one AP course, or the 4% of black students, and you're excelling, and you might not come from a family with a lot of money, Or access to send you to another high school, a private high school, for example, if your parents are not happy with some of these decisions made by administrators, what happens to them? What happens to the black and brown students who are clinging to honors and AP classes as a lifeline toward greater success in the future, to bettering themselves and their situation and moving forward with their lives? Oh, well, I guess they're just collateral damage in this decision. That, again, it's not just limited to one high school in one part of the country. This is the type of thing that woke activists are attempting to do in schooling across the country. And the bluer the state, the bluer the area, the more likely it is that they will succeed. They say, okay, well, it's not fair for some people to have some of these advantages, even if they're earned – And because our racial makeup, our racial experiment, the quotas that we have in our mind aren't being met, which would be equitable, let's just drag everyone down to the lowest common denominator. And therefore, some of those advantages, certainly for whites and Asians, but also for a lot of those Hispanics and black kids, well, they have to go away for equity. You see, the principal of this school, Principal Irwin, has a biography online. And it highlights her commitment to equity. Obviously, a much higher commitment to equity than excellence. Right? If they were interested in excellence and actually helping people succeed in life, they would not go near this type of a change. They would say, How can we help motivate some of the kids who aren't qualifying for honors and AP classes? How can we intervene to improve the experience? of underperforming students. That's not what they're doing. They're saying, let's just drag the whole thing down to a lower level. I've said before President Bush used to talk about the soft bigotry of low expectations. It's now just a hard, systemic bigotry of low expectations. And then foisting that type of framework upon all students, based on this really racially obsessed, totally twisted, I would say, toxic, misguided fixation on skin color. Now, unsurprisingly, the story goes on, describing how parents are not happy. A lot of these parents say, well, hang on. They're in the school district thinking about sending their kids to high school in the future, or their current high school parents of these kids saying, well, no, my kid was benefiting from that. I want my kid in an honors class. I want my kid learning at a higher level. I want my kid's transcripts to look more impressive. I want him or her to have the ability to earn a higher GPA by virtue of that hard work and God-given talent and merit. I know those things are bad, right? Those aren't equity-minded concepts, excellence, hard work. Merit, talent, that's anathema to the whole woke mindset. But a lot of people, these silly parents and students, still cling to those quaint old notions. So now you have a further stratification. We saw the bemoaning of stratification. Oh, it's so unfair to stratify. Well, guess what? The stratification is still happening, just in a different way. Parents who have the wherewithal and the resources to pull their kids the hell out of Patrick Henry High School, again, countdown to the rename, We'll do so. All right, last straw. I want my kid in AP classes. I want my student to have the opportunity to thrive and get into fill-in-the-blank college. We are going to make it work. We are going to send him or her to the private school, the parochial school, the Christian school, whatever it might be, where this type of nonsense wouldn't be tolerated because the parents would go crazy. So rich kids will be gone. Even like some middle-class families They'll make some sacrifices. Parents will sit at the kitchen table and figure out the math to send their kids elsewhere because they love their kids and want them to succeed. And then the families that can't afford it, and I'd love to see the racial breakdown on that. If that's what they're obsessed with, let's have that conversation. The families that cannot afford to send their kids elsewhere, they're stuck in a watered down anti-excellence environment where you're all in the same class and learning at the same lower level, because that's fair. See how that works? The haves will find a way to help their kids. The have-nots, for whom AP and honors and other things, they're a ladder to success, and the ladder's being just yanked away, they get screwed. Same thing with standardized tests. This is another thing they did out in California, and I think they're actually moving to reverse it, because it has had exactly the opposite effect what they were expecting, surprise, surprise, they said, oh, we can't do standardized tests because it's racist, it's not equitable, there are people who are uh, predisposed to do well because their families can blah, 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 so we're not going to consider standardized tests. And then all the kids from families without a bunch of resources who actually are extremely talented and smart, who would do well on these types of tests, who would then use those test scores to get to that next level in life, they got kneecapped. The woke people are doing active damage to kids, and I would say particularly the kids that they claim that they purport to care about. And that's Woke Tales. tales. Two more notes real quick since I mentioned Virginia. In Fairfax County, very blue area, although slightly less blue last year, they are trying to hire a new superintendent of schools. And it's a huge controversy, a huge cluster. They're screwing everything up. The school board there is just awful and incompetent. And apparently the people that they've been considering, like the finalists, are all superintendents who have dealt with controversies in other districts over things like school closures because they were in favor of school closures. These are people who kept schools closed for a year and a half, as they did in Fairfax. And a bunch of parents got angry. Now you've got Governor Glenn Youngkin. There are school board elections coming up. And this district is saying you know let's find another chief executive who was on board for the catastrophic harmful decision of keeping schools where they were previously shut down for all of last year doesn't that seem like a really responsive pro-science decision and process in fairfax (laughs) and mark hemingway i saw noted earlier today the washington post has another hit piece out on glenn youngkin whenever there's a republican elected in virginia during the election and then after the election, the Washington Post is just on the war path against anyone who's conservative in their orbit. They have to like breathe the same air as these people. Can't stand it. So they've got a hit piece on Glenn Youngkin, and they mention him sort of stoking partisan divisions. And one of the examples is he's really tangling with the Loudoun County School Board. And Mark Hemingway says they didn't mention in this context the huge scandals involving the school board, including – the explicit cover-up of sexual assault in a school there. So I guess the media's going to media, Loudon's going to Loudon, and Fairfax especially is going to Fairfax. Maybe the voters just need to speak a little bit louder again in November, not just in Virginia, not just in New Jersey, but all over the place. Mark your calendar for the first Tuesday in November, ladies and gentlemen, please. The Guy Benson Show continues right after this.
1: The Guy Benson Show. More next.
2: Happy hour here on The Guy Benson Show. Quick factor follow-up on a story we've been watching here for a number of days involving the BLM organization, some of their leadership and founders. And this scandal involving $6 million spent on a mansion. New York Magazine published the story, and we addressed it at some length. During the happy hour last week, we had a follow up in which one of the women involved, Patrice Cullors, denounced that report by a black reporter as racist and sexist, of course, because that's. How one does this sort of thing when you're a racial demagogue and that is your only tool. And now Ms. Colors is publicly saying that transparency laws involving charities, requiring charities to show how they're spending money, etc. Those laws, those rules themselves are in fact problematic, triggering and indeed unsafe. Cut 20.
1: I don't know what that is. Um, It it is such a trip now to hear the word, the the, the term 990s. I'm like, it's like triggering.
2: So triggering to hear about ooh, these rules by which she's bound. Ah, so hard. She's so triggered by safeguards to make sure people who give money to charitable organizations actually can see where the money's going. And it's being spent in pursuit of charitable ends, not to, oh, I don't know, buy a $6 million mansion for a handful of people that they tried to lie about and cover up and intimidate journalists for asking questions about. Here's Patrice Cullors going on. Cut 21. There has been so much um, clarity for me, a uh, questioning for me. I don't know if I have clarity or answers yet, but I'm like, wow, it, this
6: doesn't seem like, this isn't, this doesn't seem safe for us. This 990 structure, this nonprofit system structure, this is like deeply unsafe. Like this is being literally
3: weaponized against us against Mm. the people we work with i can't tell you how many people
2: are like am i next like are they going to do this to me deeply unsafe literally weaponized racist sexist i mean all of the little phrases are being employed it amounts to nothing it amounts to a woke force field that they're trying to put around themselves i don't think almost anyone is buying it i wonder if there's any donors remorse among the capital B, capital L, capital M donor crowd. They'll have to think about that. But hats off to Patrice Cullors for living down to the caricature. We'll take a break. We'll come right back on The Guy Benson Show Happy Hour. More after this.
1: You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson.
2: Here on the Happy Hour on the Guy Benson Show, our website is GuyBensonShow.com. Podcasts always free. And if you missed it at the top of today's show, we welcome back to the program Nikki Haley, former governor of South Carolina, former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations and founder of Stand for America PAC. We had a conversation involving Ukraine and more. Here's part of that discussion. Just want to get your initial reaction to what's just happened.
5: Thanks so much, Guy. It's great to be with you. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, there's a lot that's going to be said about the criminal and, and what they think of him. But the thing I would say is, in spite of the fact that there have been multiple calls to defund the police in spite of the fact that New York City got a lot of COVID money to their transit authority and none of the cameras worked in the subway system and we don't know why in spite of all of those things law enforcement came through in the way that we always know that they do um, but it doesn't change the fact that New York City and many cities across this country are less safe than they were that's because of of us choosing to debate cultural issues as opposed to debating the fact that we have to take care of our police, that we have to make sure we have their backs so that they can have our backs, the fact that we've got to start making sure that when criminals actually have a crime that they serve time, that they're not just let out on the street to go free. So there's a lot of conversations we could be having, but I doubt that any of those conversations will be in the media today.
2: Mm -hmm. And I think the long rap sheet of 12 arrests at least – That's probably inconvenient to a lot of people as well. There's a lot of inconvenient details emerging about this suspect that cut against a lot of the narratives that are preferred by some of my colleagues in the news media. And I don't have to go down that path too far here. I think people understand my point and they understand your point as well. And we will wait to see for more facts to come in. We'll see how this case now progresses in the prosecution Against This man and we'll get more analysis on the prosecution from Andy McCarthy, a former prosecutor coming up later in the show. I want to ask you if you could to flip over to your former ambassador hat. I want to play for you a soundbite. This was yesterday. President Biden was in Iowa talking about inflation and we got all the normal song and dance, all the normal talking points, all the normal blame shift about Putin's price hike and all of that. The one piece of actual news that seemed to come out of that performance in Iowa was in passing the president, referring to what Putin and the Russians are doing in Ukraine as genocide. When he was pressed on that later, did you mean to say that was that intentional? Biden said, yes, cut 16.
4: Yes, I called it genocide because it's become clearer and clearer that Putin is just trying to wipe out the idea of even being able to be a Ukrainian. And uh, the mount the evidence is mounting. They're different than it was last week. The more evidence is coming out of the, literally, the horrible things that the Russians have done in Ukraine. And we're going to only learn more and more about the devastation. And uh, we'll let the lawyers decide internationally whether or not it qualifies. But it sure seems that way to me.
2: Okay, so, Ambassador Haley, we can talk about the definitions of genocide versus horrific war crimes. Obviously, the Russians are absolutely guilty of the latter. We can have that discussion about the former. But I also want to broaden it out because, what was it, yesterday, the Biden administration had indicated that the U.S. was going to be helping to furnish Ukraine with helicopters. And then earlier today, it was announced, actually, no, they were walking that back. No more helicopters as part of the new aid package. Zelensky got on the phone with Biden and basically begged For those helicopters. I mean, Biden had just said there was a genocide happening. Then they scaled back what they were planning to help with in terms of combating the genocide militarily. And then after that phone call between the two leaders, I guess now the helicopters are back into the package, which is $800 million in total. And the helicopters are back in. I'm glad they're back in. I don't understand what this drama was with the back and forth and the flip flop flip and the walk back that the unwalk back. It does seem like a lot of this is incoherent from where I sit. What do you think?
5: Well, it comes across as if, you know, the different agencies aren't talking to each other. I mean, you know, first of all, I will tell you, I think this is genocide. Anytime you try and eliminate the existence of a people, that's genocide. And, um, you know, again, that shows bureaucracy kind of taking time to, to define it as such. But I agree with Biden that it is genocide. I think that it's been genocide. And this isn't a new revelation. Um, you know, what, it, the part that bothers me is why is Zelensky having to beg for anything? This is not just a war with Ukraine. This is a war for freedom. This is a war that we must win. If we win this war, Putin and every other thug won't even try this again. So we have to win and win big in this fight for freedom. We should be rallying all of the Europeans, all of NATO, we should be leaning in towards having strong talks with India, strong talks with our Arab friends, making sure that the world is continuing to get united against Russia. Um, you know, but yet they still they still wait to sanction our energy companies and that, you know, if you look at the revenue numbers last year that Putin received for energy, and you look at it this year, naturally it's through the roof because the cost of oil has gone up and Putin is benefiting from it. And we're not doing anything about it. And every bit of money that goes to Putin is going to kill Ukrainians. And we're all part of that as long as the U.S. doesn't go and sanction the energy company. So, you know, there's a lot we need to do. But what I can tell you is Zelensky should not have to beg. We should send anti-air, anti-tank, anti-ship, um, any amount of equipment we need to send. I'm glad they're sending this package. I was really glad to see Boris Johnson walking the streets of Ukraine with yeah. Zelensky. I thought that was an amazing show of support. And I wish that we would see more of that. Um, and I think that it's time to really put the hammer on Germany and say, you know what, you got us into this by getting all cozy with Russia. All of the Europeans need to stop their dependency on um, any Russian energy whatsoever. They could do it. They could do it. We could help them do it. We should be doubling down on that.
2: Last question, and it deals with a totally separate subject. We're just all across the board here today as we open the show with Nikki Haley. It was now widely reported, not officially announced yet, but widely reported that the Biden administration is going to extend again the mask requirements on federal transportation and in federal transportation hubs, airports, on airplanes, etc. They are doing it for 15 days. That's the extension. So that kind of reminds me, a little flashback, somewhat somewhat disturbing flashback to 15 days to uh, slow the spread. We all remember that. 15 more days of this mitigation requirement for many Americans traveling based on science that I just think is non-existent. It doesn't make any sense anymore. It is totally out of step with other allowances and other CDC guidance that has been released. Meanwhile, they're saying that they're going to get rid of, they've announced that they're going to get rid of the Title 42 expulsions at the southern border because we've moved past the emergency stage, I guess, of the pandemic in that case. But for Americans traveling around on airplanes, they're still going to have to mask up. I don't understand the coexistence of these policies either
5: well you know i mean after watching the biden administration for this year it they are constantly behind um the ball on everything. And I think really what this 15 days is about is to make sure that all their talking points are good before they lift it. Um, they should have lifted it a long time ago. I mean, it doesn't do anything to help anyone to have everybody mask up on, you know, as we go through transportation. We see how frustrated passengers are. We see even more the burdens that it puts on those people working in these places that have to enforce it.
2: My full interview with former ambassador and former governor Nikki Haley available in its entirety and all of today's show for free on demand. That's on the podcast at GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. When we come back, the home stretch, a sticky situation at an NBA game, will explain right after
1: this. For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com.
2: Home stretch on this Wednesday. It's the Guy Benson Show. GuyBensonShow.com. Podcast is always free. So there was a strange mishap at an NBA game in Minneapolis last night. It was the Los Angeles Clippers at the Minnesota Timberwolves. And at some point, there was a woman who was sort of down on the court. It seemed like she might be hurt or something like that. People were not sure what actually happened. Here's how it sounded on the broadcast on TNT as folks tried to figure out what the hell was going on.
3: Somebody has fallen. A arena worker has fallen at the other end, and you can see right now. I'm not sure if she fainted or fell, but they are assisting her, and out she goes. You know, I say it's an arena worker. It may have been somebody else because they quickly got her up and, and got her off in a hurry. If she fell, is there blood down there? Oh, okay. I I think we've been told there was a protest, and I think
6: she was writing something on the floor.
2: All right, so that was Marv Albert as they're working through what was going on here. And it turned out, at first, as you could hear, they thought someone was hurt, there was concern, is this an arena worker, what happened? Is there blood? No, no. This was an animal rights activist who decided that she was going to Walk out onto the floor, sort of down underneath one of the baskets near the baseline, and literally glue her body to the hardwood. That's why you started to hear some of the booing in the background. People realized that she was there deliberately and was delaying the game and protesting something. So even the Minnesota Nice fans uh, did not have much patience for that. So some boo started to rain down i guess what happened was she was not terribly successful (laughs) at gluing herself i don't know if she thought this through right and i let me just explain apparently why she was doing this she had a t-shirt on that almost no one could see or read again a very well-planned performance here the shirt read glenn taylor who is the owner of the timberwolves roasts animals alive This was some animal rights activist who I guess had some objection to like the egg farm or egg factory that Glenn Taylor owns. So she decided that she was going to make a stand for the chickens or the eggs or something like that by gluing herself to the ground. And they were able to, in very short order, unglue her and hurry her away and escort her off to be, I presume, arrested. Now, back to the technical breakdown here. I am not familiar with what specific adhesive she tried to use. I'm guessing it wasn't just like you know Elmer's glue that you use in third grade. This was probably something a little bit more substantial, but not substantial enough. I guess her plan was, oh, they're not going to be able to get me off the floor anytime soon. They're going to have to come in and bring some sort of solution. The game will be vastly delayed. I'll get tons of attention. But instead they were like, oh, nope, and just scooped her right up and off she went. So the T-shirt could not be read by almost anyone. She also didn't go prominently like out to mid-court or anything like that. She just walked barely onto the floor, plopped down, glued herself down, and it didn't stick. Again, I'm not an expert on these things. I would imagine some of the more heavy-duty substances probably still take a little bit of time. To really harden and maybe make it harder to pry someone up. You'd think there might be other options. Like chaining yourself to something, handcuffing yourself to something. But no, this uh, this bright light of activism went this route and it was a very minor distraction. And basically the only attention she got was a few boos and some ridicule. I'm reading about the story on OutKick. And Clay Travis, who I recently saw down in Florida, his commentary on this was, quote, absurd and ridiculous, but still a more valid protest than when the NBA and WNBA shut down for Jacob Blake. A reference to a police-involved shooting of an armed suspect who was violating a restraining order against a woman, and he was wielding a knife, and they shot him, and it turned into this whole folklore about... An unarmed person being shot for racial reasons, none of that was true. The police were cleared, but that didn't stop the community from going up in flames in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Not that far from Minneapolis. It's it's a bit of a drive, certainly. Kenosha, by the way, rocked by multiple nights of violence, arson, looting, and then, of course, the incident involving Kyle Rittenhouse and the shooting. That county, for the first time in decades, has flipped red at the county executive level as of last week, as we've mentioned a few times. Just a coincidence, I'm sure. The story says the Timberwolves stuck together in the second half and edged the Clippers 109 to 104. And one more pun. The Clippers laid an egg in the game's final minutes, getting bested on the boards and playing sloppy perimeter defense during crunch time. So this was a story sent to me by Dan. I had missed this episode, and I'm glad he brought it to our attention because it is the type of absurdity that we like to highlight. This might have qualified as woke tales, but we already did a a segment on that earlier. Plus, it reminded me of the protests that happened at my alma mater this past football season. I believe the Northwestern Wildcats, my team, were playing Iowa, hosting Iowa. And some left-wing woke students ran out onto the field and just sort of loitered on the field for several minutes. I guess the school didn't really know what to do. Security didn't really know what to do. They had a big banner that they unfurled. They had several protest placards. It was just an array of left-wing causes. There was no specific thing that they were protesting or demanding. It was just like, all the things, fossil fuels, Palestine, you know, like all, you know whatever. A, a little buffet of left-wingery. And these geniuses, again, these are supposed to be some of our brightest at Northwestern, they pointed all of their signage away from the cameras. (laughs) So no one on TV or anything like that could see. And most of the fans were on the opposite side of the stadium. They had no idea what was going on and couldn't read the signs. So, you know, good stuff. It's like when people block highways. Like, what are you expecting to achieve? You're going to piss off a lot of people, alienate them, or you're going to delay a football game and no one knows even why, what your stupid cause is. Or in this case, you might, what, delay a basketball game for a few minutes, then people all of a sudden are going to say, oh, let's go pick at the egg farm. I just don't understand what goes through people's minds. I'm all for protest. I'm all for activism. I think being strategic, having achievable goals going through processes that make sense and don't actively turn people off. That seems like it would be best practices, but often our friends on the left in particular aren't interested in best practices. And, of course, we have our crazy people on the right as well who turn people off all over the place with their mirror image of this crazy stuff. By the way, one other reason that I wanted to talk about this particular story today is because producer Christine Cookie is off today. I don't know what she's up to. Maybe we can interrogate her on the home stretch tomorrow. We have some really good home stretch topics for tomorrow and Friday that we're holding because she doesn't like talking about sports. She doesn't really know anything about sports. And her contributions to this particular discussion would have been minimal if existing at all. So let's do the sports topic today smart move by Dan. And then we'll get back to the cookie monster and nonsense tomorrow. So there's a little tease. We are out of time here. Back here, as I mentioned, tomorrow, same time, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time, here for The Guy Benson Show. We will talk to you then. Have a wonderful
3: evening, and thank you for listening to The Guy Benson Show.